I can see the Apostle John sitting before the congregation saying, little children, you're loved by God. I say that to you this morning, little children, you are loved by God. And John has come around now the second, third time now to talk about love. We're in 1 John chapter 4. If you want to turn your Bibles there. A group of professionals posed the question to a group of four to eight-year-olds. What does love mean? Chrissy, age six, said, love is when you go out to eat and give everybody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. That is love. Little Terry, age four, said, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Little Danny, seven years old, said, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. (laughs) Little Bobby Five said, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Bobby's a little deep there, isn't he? Little Noel at age seven, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt And then he wears it every day. (laughs) Little Mayan, four, love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. Little Jessica, seven, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. And then little Rebecca, age eight. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Pretty insightful comments from our younger children. And we're grateful for that, but yet we have a better word from the scriptures about what love really is. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21 is the greatest treatment of love by John. And we're not going to take the whole thing today. We're just going to take 7 through 12. The thrust of this passage is that our Father is the God of love, whose love is manifested in the sending of his Son, Jesus Christ, and is perfected in the love displayed among his people. So it's demonstrated in Christ and it's perfected as it's fleshed out among his people for the glory of God. First of all, in verses 7 and 8, we want to see that love has its origin in God. He says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The Apostle Paul might be labeled the Apostle of Faith. The Apostle Peter might be labeled the Apostle of Hope. The Apostle James might be labeled the Apostle of Good Works. John is labeled the Apostle of Love. He even describes him as the disciple Jesus loved. 
in our culture, obviously, we need some help with the whole area of love. Uh, we see love in our culture pretty much as selfish and sensual. That's our definition of love. God's word clearly proclaims it to be sacrificial and supernatural. Love is not of this world because of the fall. It's sacrificial and it's supernatural. Because men are made in the image of God, we are not saying today that we don't see people who don't know Jesus who can't show ways of loving. Because they were made in God's image, even with the fall, there is still the reflection of God's image coming through them. And so they can do things in a way that can be loving. Just like the creation that we see is magnificent. Even though we look around and we see the results of the fall, it's still amazing. As you drive through the hill country and you see the beauty of God's creation, you also see dead trees everywhere. So even in the midst of a fallen, fallen creation, we see God's attributes laid out. So even among those who don't know Jesus, they can love in a way. But we're talking about something different. I, Howard Marshall, said, human love, however noble and however highly motivated, falls short if it refuses to include the Father and Son as the supreme objects of its affection. Such love fails to keep the greatest commandment. Jesus gave two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So even fallen men who don't know Jesus can love each other in some way, but they, their love still falls short because it's not, they're not loving the one who is the most lovable the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So love has its origin in God. A couple of subpoints there. Notice in verse 7, loving others gives evidence that we have been born of God. Becoming a Christian is not something that just happens on your end of the equation. It's not just a one-sided transaction. It starts with the rebirth of a person, regenerating them, making them alive, helping them see their sin and showing them the beauty of Christ. So rebirth is a miracle. Regeneration, the new birth, being born again, unites spiritually dead, selfish hearts with God's living, loving heart so that his life becomes our life and his love becomes our love. It's like taking a branch from one tree and grafting it into another. Once it's been grafted in, the life of that tree now pours through this branch and bears fruit that's coming from the original tree. And we see this language a lot in Romans 9, 10, and 11 of Israel being broken off and others being grafted in. But what happens when you and I trust the Lord Jesus by his grace, through faith and repentance, we are grafted into Jesus and then his life pours through us and we begin to bear the fruit that comes from his tree. We read this in John 15, don't we? Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will what? Bear much fruit. What kind of fruit? Fruit that comes from my tree. We're really, if we think about salvation, we're broken off of Satan's tree and we're planted into whose? Christ's tree. And we begin to produce this fruit and one of those fruits is love. It has to be 
It has to be. It's not a matter of, well, I'll have to work myself up to do it. It should come as part of who we are now in Christ. John Piper says, love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it is light. And fire gives heat because it is heat. So John's point is that in the new birth, this aspect of the divine nature becomes part of who we are. This is what it means to be united in Christ. Those words you kind of read through your Bible all the time, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We kind of just kind of read over those. They mean something. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, something supernatural happened to you. And you are no longer your own. You've been grafted in to the family of God and it will change you. The new birth is the imparting to you of divine life. And an indispensable part of that life is love. God's nature is love. And in the new birth, that nature becomes part of who you are. When you are born again, God himself is imparted to you. He, this is still Piper. He dwells in you and sheds abroad in your heart his love. And his aim is that this love be perfected in you. Notice the phrase, his love in verse 12. The love that you have as a born-again person is no mere imitation of divine love. It is an experience of the divine love and an extension of that love to others. So when you and I love other people, it's not just that we're imitating God. That is true. We're commanded to be imitators of God. But it's more than that. It is that because God now lives in us, we are able to love people with his love. So first, we know we're born again if we love. And secondly, still under this first point, loving others gives evidence that we know God. Verses 7 and 8. We don't simply know about God, but we are in relationship with him. Many in the American church know about God. They have all the facts. It's all there. But many of them have not had a supernatural experience of being born again and being grafted into Christ. And therefore, you see that love is not there. They can, they can imitate a little bit, they can do that a little bit, but they're not able to do it to what uh, John's asking us here. Here's John's logic. God is love. Those who have been born of God and know God are God's children. God's children have God's nature. God's children, therefore, will love. If you're a Christian, why are you loving? Because you have a new nature. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. And it's no longer you all by yourself. It's the Spirit of God living and working this out 
as imperfectly as it is in our lives. So the origin of love is God. Secondly, love is seen in the atoning death of Jesus, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. How do we see God's love? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. He sent Christ into the world so that we might what? Live through him. In this love, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Two incredible points here. One, he sent Jesus so that we could live. Wow. He also sent Jesus so that he could die. He sent him so that we could live. He sent him so that he could die. What an incredible contrast. Jesus and this love was manifest in him. Manifest means to be revealed, to be on public display. God displayed his love to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He put his love on display in Jesus Christ. And that's what John says to us in the very beginning of this book. Remember, let's go back to chapter 1, verse 1 as you turn quickly there. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, visible, public, and we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The apostles were enjoying the fellowship of the Father and the Son. That's what we have. Fellowship with the Father and the Son. And their joy wasn't going to be complete until they exported it so that others could be part of that fellowship and enjoy their relationship with the Father and with the Son. God sent his Son into enemy territory, into a world of sinners on a search and rescue mission, which is our mission as well. He came looking for us even when we were not looking for him. We're going to have to evangelize people that aren't looking for God. We're going to have to evangelize people that we don't like who aren't like us and don't hold the same views on everything that we hold. Because the Son of God came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. Evangelism's hard. 
It's difficult work. And somehow, we have to be able, for the most vile of sinners, as we sang today, to take to them the love of Christ. And it's difficult in our culture because some of them want to promote their lifestyle publicly and nationally. And so on one hand, we have to resist and say, no, this is not right, and we will stand against it. On the other, we must see them as a person who is, by their own choice, trapped in sin and need the fellowship of the Father. They need to be adopted into our family. And we have a ways to grow in that, brothers and sisters. We forget who we are. We forget our own sin and our own rebellion as we kind of get our act together. And then we kind of look down on people who aren't in whatever areas like us. If God did that, Jesus would have never come. Amen? Christ would have never left his throne in glory to come for us because we were by nature children of wrath. We were by nature his enemies. When God says love your enemies, he is not being hypocritical. We were all his enemies, blind to our sin, blind to our rebellion, and Christ came to to rescue us. God sent his son that we might live And the scripture says, through him. What does it mean to live through him? Turn to Galatians 2.20. We know this verse, a lot of us. Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Loved me and gave himself for me. As believers, we are no longer our own. We're bought with a price. And the Spirit of God now resides within us. And as we live and submit to his leadership, he lives his life in and through us. That is encouraging. That is exciting. When you find in yourself the ability to love people who aren't lovable and to love people who treated you wrong and to love and to sacrifice for a person you have no reason, no one would think you have a reason to sacrifice for them. When you do that, that says, hey, that wasn't me. Where did that come from? It came from the Spirit of God living in us. It means to be born of God and know Him, experience His love and share it with others. We first have to experience his love, though, brothers and sisters. We have to understand his steadfast love. Why is his love steadfast? Because we're not. Because we're not faithful, as we should be. We're growing in grace. We're growing and becoming more like Christ. But we still stumble and fall and we sin. We're constantly going to God for forgiveness. But his love is what? Steadfast. His love is amazing, and it's amazing in light of who we are. And the more you and I understand what we've received from him, and this is so important, and we can all talk it, 
The question is, has it gotten into your heart and into your soul to where you really understand how much you're loved by him? If you have, it's going to change the way you love other people. It is. The man who was forgiven 10,000 talents never got it. He never got it. He owed a debt he could never pay, and the king says, you are forgiven of all of it. Go on your way, and he finds a guy who owed him 50 bucks and throws him in jail. He never understood what he had received from the king. If he had, if he had, he wouldn't have treated his brother who owed him 50 bucks that way. And a lot of times we're that way. We don't comprehend fully, even though we can talk about it, what we've received in here is his love. And we turn to somebody who's done a slight offense against us and we're ready to cut their head off. How do we love? It's because we have his nature. And because he's transforming the way we think. And because we now are focusing, and this is why we sing these songs, to worship Christ and how great he is, but it's also so that we will remember how much we're loved. The little girl had it right. We forget. You got to tell them a lot. We love you. Because people forget. All through this, if, why is John talking about love again? Come on, John, this is, this is number three. This is the third time around the tree here for love. Why do we have to have it repeated? Because we don't realize how much we've been loved and are being loved and will be loved. We don't. And we still think in some way it's my performance that causes me to be loved. We have the best father ever. We have the best father ever who loves us steadfastly in our ups and our downs. And we have the best big brother ever who took the weight of our sin on his shoulders and died on the cross for our sin. What better family can you have than that? And as that reality soaks into our soul, it will change us. It has to change us. We've been given his nature and we're experiencing his love. That has to change us unless in reality we've never experienced a supernatural birth. If you've not experienced the supernatural birth from the Holy Spirit that changes the way you view everything and causes you to run to Jesus and grow in relationship with him, all you can do is fake it. And it'll show up. There's enough stuff in life that's not good. Your lack of love is going to show up. If you find today that you don't love people and you really don't love God if we're just really honest, then you are not his child. 
You're not. I don't care if you're in this church every Sunday sitting in the same seat, giving and giving and giving and praying some prayers and reading the Bible. If you, if there is no fruit of love coming out of your life, he says it real clearly here. If we do not love, if anyone who does not love does not know God. Doesn't. So God sent his son that we might what? Live. And the amazing second part is God sent his son that he might die. There was never a question when God sent Jesus what was going to happen. It wasn't an accident that Jesus kind of got a little bit, got upset with the got upset with him and he got in trouble and then he had a bad, bad, he had a bad jury case go against him and here he ended up dying. He sent him to die. 4.10 In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He was sent to be the propitiation. Propitiation means a sacrifice to appease God. Our wrath, we, were, we deserve the wrath of God, and Jesus' sacrifice appeased God. We see it in Romans 3.25. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness. Hebrews 2.17 Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to be a man. He had to come like us. He had to live a righteous life to be able to be a sacrifice. And then he had to die. 1 John 2, 2, he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not only ours, but also for those of the whole world. His death just wasn't for Israel. His death just isn't for us who are here. His death has a scope that goes throughout the whole world. That whoever believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be what? Saved. What a powerful death. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to what? Bring us to God. It's powerful. It's sufficient. It completely satisfies the Father. You and I don't want to stand before the Father in judgment. You don't want to go there. Only his life was satisfactory and sufficient and complete. And he could truly say a completely true statement, it is finished. Because he had satisfied the Father. He was the propitiation. Pagan religions also have a concept like this. You have an angry God and the people are having to put some sacrifice up there to please this God. Offering a child or offering a bull or offering a goat. That's not Christianity. You and I are not offering ourselves or our children or anything else to God. It is God himself who offered himself 
in our place to satisfy the wrath of the Father. That's a lot different. It's amazing that the second person of the Trinity would come, live as a human, completely fulfill the law and the prophets, and then be willing to represent his people by dying for them, satisfying God's wrath against all of his people once for all. What does propitiation teach us? It teaches us, number one, God personally hates sin. It's not a little deal for God. He personally hates sin. Sin, number two, is serious. It is a serious thing. Three, no sin goes unpunished. Your sin and my sin, when you just go, oh, it's not a big deal. It's okay. You're fine. You're good to go. No. Christ himself took your place and received the wrath of God for you. For your sin, past, present, future. So the things that we're doing now that we shouldn't be doing, the things that we're thinking we might do down the road that we shouldn't be doing, do we have the same attitude about sin that God does? Your sin was serious enough that Jesus died for it. And finally, propitiation. <clears throat> Not finally. I've got a few more. The greatness of God's love in which he provided the offering to turn the wrath away. Jesus' propitiation shows the greatness of God's love. Jesus said, no greater love is this than one lay down his life for his friends. God's holiness required satisfaction. God's love provided satisfaction. Isn't that great? His holiness required it. His love provided it. Propitiation is a beautiful concept because it shows the seriousness of sin. It shows the desperateness of our situation. It shows the great love of God and the great love of Christ. And the fact that God will deal with all sin. No sin is left undealt with. It was a true substitute. It truly was. Apart from Jesus, you would stand before God and face his full wrath for eternity. John Stott, from his book, The Cross of Christ, it is God himself who in holy wrath needs to be propitiated. God himself who in holy love undertook to do the propitiation. And God himself who in the person of the Son died for the propitiation of our sins. 
Thus God took his own loving initiative to appease his own righteous anger by bearing it in his own self, in his own son, when he took our place and died for us. Tim Keller, the gospel is that Jesus lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died in your place so that God can receive you not for your record and sake, but for his record and sake. And then start one more time. This is an incredible quote. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. Is that not true? The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. That's sin. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Glory to you, Jesus. I'm going to say that again. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. That's what, that's what it all is. It's all pride. It's all exalting myself. That's what it is. When you talk about idolatry, idols are simply things we focus on to help satisfy and lift our own selves up. Because ultimately, we are the idol. It's all about us, apart from the work of Jesus Christ. So sin is us substituting ourselves for God. God, on the other hand, salvation is him substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself only where God deserves to be. And amazingly, amazingly, God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. This is why it's called amazing grace. Unbelievable, amazing grace. We are loved more than we realize, brothers and sisters. We truly are. Three, love is perfected in us when we love others. There was research done by Gabe Lyons and Kinnaman on how um, this lost view of Christians, how the, how the world views Christians. This is how unbelievers view Christians, this little survey they did. They basically found that Christians were seen to be hyper-political, out of touch, pushy in our beliefs, and arrogant. Viewed by the younger Americans who did not attend church, we were seen as judgmental, hypocritical, and insensitive to others. And brothers and sisters, this has some merit in our lives. Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples by your love. I think sometimes in our zeal to be holy and our zeal to establish standards that we want to keep for ourselves, 
we lead in our conversation with people, we lead with our standards. I'm not saying we don't confront people in sin. Sin. But, even if we're talking about their sin, we need to be able to communicate to them that they're loved. No matter what they've done, no matter where they are, no matter what kind of mess they've made of their lives, our job as ambassadors of Christ is to communicate love. Having them in our home, having a conversation with them, putting up with those things that are annoying to us about their life. We need to lead with the gospel, not with our standards. We need to lead with the gospel. If you, look, you read through the gospel of John or Matthew or Mark or Luke, Jesus led with the gospel. He didn't lead with some set of standards. Sometimes in our zeal for that, we build this bridge, we build this wall between us and the people we're trying to evangelize. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a mess. He loved his job because he ripped everybody off and made them pay more taxes than they deserved. And Jesus saw him in the tree and said, hey, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming when nobody else in this town even wants to come to your house. Because they hate you for how much you have taken from them. And as Jesus dialogues with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus comes to the part where his heart is changed. And he's grafted into the tree of love. And he says, if I have taken anything from anyone, I will repay whatever it was he was going to repay. He was changed. We need to understand the gospel better. We need to lead with the gospel. We need to love them where they are. We need to help them see their sin and their need for Jesus in a non-condemning way that says, I have been where you are. Because we have, haven't we? And proclaim the wonderful love that we're talking about today with people. We are called to go to those who don't want us. We must share a gospel they don't want to hear. We must love those who may hate and even kill us in return. There's this idea out there that if I just package the gospel right, they're just going to be so excited and just so thrilled and they're just going to give me a big hug. No, they're not. They may, if God's working in their heart and brings them to a point of salvation, but these people are enemies of God as we once were. And they don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to see you. And they may be filled with enough hate 
to try to kill you. When we were in Raleigh, we went to this, I've talked about this before, we went to this gathering of, it was kind of a, it was a gathering of family under the auspices of gay families. And we just walked and trying to find our place. We're going to talk to some people and try to do this and that. We were just walking along and some of them came up to us and they just wanted to know how we're going to vote on this little amendment about marriage. We said, yeah, we're going to vote for traditional marriage. (laughs) I mean, it was like, it was on. It was live. I mean, it was like there was serious anger and rage. And finally, an officer came over and said, you guys need to find your place over here. We said, yes, sir. Moving over here. The world hated Jesus. The world hates Christians. We need to get used to that. And still go. And still go knowing that may be the reception we get. But we need to do it with gentleness and respect and with the truth and be willing to take our lumps however that comes. Because in those people out there who are enemies of God, there are those that God is going to change. He is going to change them and he's going to use you and your imperfect presentation of the gospel to bring them to Jesus Christ. So this love has to come, his love has to come through us. God's love for us inspires us to love others and our love for others brings his love to perfection. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The creation screams the glory of God. Jesus is the primary display of God's love. May I say to you, brothers and sisters, that you and I are the secondary display of that love in very personal settings where you walk and live and breathe. And his desire is that as you understand his love for you, you will grow in your love for others and you will be out there as salt and light and you will engage people and you'll have a heart to care about them. And you'll have a heart to share with them the love of God. That is God's plan. In June 25th of 1967, the Beatles were given an assignment to write a song that would relate to the whole world. 400 million people in 26 countries connected by satellite heard the song, All You Need Is Love. We all know that. A lot of us know that. A lot of us older ones know that song. All you need is love. Dun, 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 dun. All you need is love. Yeah. Love is all you need. <laughs> Wasn't that long ago. They got the message half right. All the world needs Christ's love. All the world needs his love. And for us to be a conduit, we have to soak in at what he's done for us. And because we've been changed by the power of God, that is going to work its way out. 
May God give us grace to love the brothers and sisters more and to love those who are enemies of Christ that they might one day bow the knee to Jesus as we are. Let's pray. Father, we come before you amazed at our sin and amazed at your love. Amazed that we would reject your leadership and want to be like you. And you amazingly would humble yourself and take our place. Father, I pray that as we read your word and as we pray and as we fellowship, that we would remind each other of your love and continue to help each each of us have a better vision of how much you love us. And to know, Lord, that we've been given your spirit and there is a compulsion for us to, we have an obligation to love because we've been loved and we have a nature now that can love because of your spirit. Oh, Father, I pray for your saints here at FCF that you would grant us to understand the height and depth and breadth of your love for us and that that would translate into us loving others in very significant and meaningful ways and obviously with transporting the glorious message of the gospel that they might one day know the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, this is your characteristic of your people to love. Father, is there anyone here who honestly in their heart knows they don't love? They don't love God. They really don't love people. Lord, that no matter what their record of church attendance and all their professions, that they would come to the fact of knowing that the fruit on their tree doesn't match up with being a child of God. Father, I pray you'd break them and help them to come to the author of love, Jesus Christ, that they might find forgiveness, they might find peace and freedom in him. Grant us much grace, we pray, to apply this in our lives. Amen.